Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, February 27th, 2022, we bring you a special sermon by guest speaker Bill Page titled, The Journey. Enjoy. Now, how many of you want me to be real today? Raise your hands. Okay, if I'm willing to be real with you, how many of you are willing to be real? Raise your hands. Look at the person next to you. Say, neighbor. We're going to find out. Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna, I won't be here next week, and, and, and some of you will be greatly relieved about that, but the person seated next to you, that is your neighbor. Ephesians 4.25 says, cease then with lying and tell your neighbor the truth, because we're not separate units, but intimately united in Christ. I think that's God's way of saying to us to be real with each other. Amen? I say, no, so let's see how real you're going to be. Look at your neighbor say, neighbor, I'm going to be real with you today. Okay, so let me find out. The Bible says, know those that labor among you. I'll share some things about myself, but let me find out about you. I want to know those that I'm laboring among. Okay, by the raising of your hands, how many of you have found out life is a lot more difficult than you thought it would be? How many find out serving Jesus is a lot more difficult than you thought it would be? How many of us find ourselves doing stupid stuff every once in a while? How many of us do stupid stuff? We know it's stupid and we do it anyway. Look at your neighbor, say, neighbor, what in the ham sandwich is the matter with you? Okay, I already like this audience. I could feel, okay, so last question. How many of you have ever done something, your attitude about it is, oh my God, I hope no one ever finds out I did that. How many of us have one of those in our lives? Say, neighbor, and I won't be telling you about it either. But what that does, it, it really puts us all on a level playing field if we're, if we're really being honest. And if we're not willing to be honest, I call that kind of like fronting. I shared with the men yesterday as I spoke to them uh, when I was a police officer, and I'll get into my story quickly, but I locked the young man up and I wasn't thinking, and I turned my back on him in my office, I was a detective, and I left my gun laying on the table. And when I turned around, he had my gun pointed at me. And outwardly, I said, put that gun down put the gun down. Now, that's how I looked on the outside. But on the inside, ah! And by God's incredible grace, he put the gun down. And in the words of Mr. T, I beat that boy like a drum. <laughs> no, not really. But uh, in Jesus' name, because the Bible says whatever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. Just a thought. No, not really. But I was fronting. And I think God wants us to be real. I really believe the world is looking for something that's real. And we have him. And his name is Jesus. And he's chosen to live inside of us and to live his life out through us. And we're going to talk about that today and maybe what that might look like for some of us. Uh, back but my own testimony, born and raised in New York City. I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. My mother was involved with organized crime. She was a bookie for the mafia. I did not realize that until many years later when I began to investigate organized crime. And I looked back and I was like, wow, that's what mommy used to do. And... Uh, <laughs> And then I was the victim of child abuse at her hands. I didn't realize it was child abuse until I began to investigate child abuse. I looked back, I was like, dang, that's what mommy used to do. And when I was on Young Life staff, I saw a girl walking across one of our campgrounds and she had a t-shirt on. And it said, save your drama for your mama. Look at your neighbor, say neighbor. Bill's mama was his drama, okay? And so, and my dad was a wonderful, wonderful man. I shared this morning that as far as I'm concerned, no greater man has ever walked the face of this earth other than Jesus Christ, and he was God's incredible grace in my life. I had two cousins that lived in the house. A.B., he was five years older than me. Mom and dad never had any more kids, so I always considered A.B. my brother. And I had a cousin whose name was Betty. She was 15 years old when I was born. I heard she had a kid, but I never saw that kid, but she lived a wild, promiscuous lifestyle. 
style. Um, so I'm growing up this angry young man. I come home from school, I'm 13 years old, and some of mom's friends are at the house and they say, Bill, we got some bad news for you. Your mom died today. How many of you have ever had a day start out great and before that day was over, all hell was breaking loose? Anybody ever have a day like that? How many of you ever tried to fix the day and it only got worse? Say neighbor. No matter how bad it is, it can always get worse. Okay, so uh, they tell me this news and I, I take my dog for a walk and I remember crying and I don't know if I cried because I was mad, glad or sad, but I felt some of that drama would stop and I get back home and AB's now come home from school. Uh, he's 18 years old. He sees I've been crying. He goes, well, why are you crying? I said, well, I'm crying because mommy's dead. And he says, well, so what? She's not your real mother. Your real mother is your cousin, Betty. So that girl that lived in the house turned out to be my mom. Look at your neighbor, say neighbor. Dang. You know, what do you do with that? What do you do with that when you're 13 years old? What do you do with that when you don't know who Jesus is? It wasn't as somebody sat me down to break this news to me. Boom, I got hit. And uh, my life, I really began, began to spiral out of control that day. And I went to an all-boys high school. 7,000 boys went to my high school, played football there. Soon as football season ended, my senior year, quit school, began running the streets, hanging out with a crew that was doing bank robberies and murder. And so I joined the military to keep from going to jail. I thought that was a good option. Say, neighbor. We were in Vietnam at that time. By God's grace, I ended up not in Vietnam. I ended up in Korea, up on the DMZ, kind of hairy, but not as bad as Vietnam, of course. Uh, got married while I was in the service to my first wife, who has since passed on and gone to be with Jesus. And, and Pam and I have now been married, coming up on seven years. Uh, two kids, uh, five grandkids, uh, and I went on the police department right after the military. And they gave me a gun, they gave me a badge, and they gave me a uniform. But that uniform and badge and gun had nothing to do with changing my character. And so as I went into the police department, I brought baggage with me. I brought, I brought baggage into my marriage, baggage, baggage into being a father. Uh, we all carry some baggage. Amen? Be real. How many of us have some baggage in our lives? Anybody in the house? Okay, everybody go like this. These are your 3D spiritual glasses. Put these on. Okay, I'll wait. Just put your, thank you. Put your glasses on. Now look your neighbor up and down. Say, neighbor. Oh, you got a lot more baggage than I thought you had. <laughs> and, and because we get good at hiding our baggage. And so I, I, I was hiding stuff and we live a dual life and, and, and sooner or later what's in the inside will come out. And uh, I was a cop for 10 years and I began to deal with the pain and hurt from my past with drugs and alcohol. I was a detective, I was on the SWAT team, I was living a dual life and one day I got real. Just like I've asked you to be real. I was watching television, the 700 Club, Pat Robertson pointed at the screen and he was like he was in my house. He said, hey, are you a sinner? And I said, yeah. He said, you know Jesus? I said, no, say neighbor. You know, you got issues if you get an attitude with the television. And, and so he, sa he said, call this number, 800 number flashed on the screen. I called that number and a man explained to me the incredible love of Jesus Christ. I was filled with God's spirit, filled with a joy and peace like I had never had before. It kind of reminded me of a Daffy Duck running around the house. This was like awesome. My wife was out shopping. She came home from shopping. I met her at the door. I said, Claudia, this is the new me. Jesus came into my life. I'm born again by the spirit of God. My name's written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm a new creation in Christ because that's all the stuff that man told me on the telephone. Say neighbor. Whatever you do, never say stupid stuff to a black woman. And so when I said that to her, she went just like this. Yeah, right. And she thought God would kill me now because I had a God lie. But rather than killing me, he saved her, saved my kids, saved my father at 83 years old and turned our entire household around. And I went back to women. 
And I went back to work as, as a, a different police officer. And I went back to work instantly. I shared this with the men yesterday. Understood why people did the things they did. Because they didn't know who Jesus was. Because they were sinners acting like sinners. So whoever I would lock up, I'd tell them about Jesus. Hey, you know why you rob banks? You need Jesus in your life, okay? <laughs> you know why you beat your wife? You need Jesus in your life. And I would see many of these people give their lives to the Lord. And it was an awesome time. And I stayed on the job 10 more years. And during that time, God called me to the ministry. And I became a chaplain, at, as, as Joe said, at, at a treatment center for emotionally disturbed boys. Uh, 300 kids out of New York City, 300 kids out of homes of abuse and neglect, 300 kids out of homes just like mine. And, and I went there in my Pentecostal zeal to be the healer, and God sent me there to be healed. And, and, and you know, my attitude at that time, and I didn't realize it outwardly, but there was something broken on the inside, my biggest issue would be with women. Amen? And who does God give me for a boss? A woman. A white woman at that. And how many of us realize there are cultural differences between white people and black people? Raise your hand. Okay, you guys did better, because I thought these people thought I was giving a trick question. This is not a trick question, there are some differences. And so, but we're clashing all the time. Key fight words at Children's Village are these two words, your mama. Black kids, brown kids, we know how to go there. Like, yo, your mama's one. Then you get like, ooh, you talk about your mama. Next thing you know, it's hooking and jabbing. White people don't play to your mama game too tough. White people will be like, your mother, well, that's not real painful. I can handle that, okay? Look at your neighbor, say neighbor. Cultural, but not racial. It's just a difference. But she doesn't know about my childhood. I've never thought about my childhood at this time. I'm 39 years old at that time. But she's sick and tired of me clashing against her authority. And she gets in my face one day, and she says, what kind of a mother did you come from? Scooby-Doo. And I just turned and walked away. And I thought about that. And I came from two moms that messed my life up. They're both dead. And I'm still angry. And in the car as I rode, I said, Mom, wherever you are, I forgive you. Betty, wherever you are, I forgive you. Father, forgive me for what I've allowed that to do to me. And literally, a weight came off me that I never knew I was carrying. I, amen? I want us to think about that. How many of you can think of somebody who you're angry with right now? Raise your hand. Say neighbor. Who's living rent-free in your head? <laughs> I want us to think about that because that kind of stuff has an impact on us and it, and it causes us the way that we interact with other people. And, and we're gonna talk about that a little bit today. We, we see so much division in our nation today. Political division, racial division, uh, economic division, social division all kinds of stuff that have us separated. And we find out a house divided against itself will not stand. But where there's unity, there's strength. And the Bible also lets us know there's nothing new under the sun. And, and I think about God. And, and I, I, I think about the story I want to tell you today. And, and again, as I shared this morning and with the men yesterday, when I, when I read the Bible, it turns into a movie for me. And, and I'm able to see it. The only thing it doesn't give you is the tone of people's voices when they're speaking. So you have to use your own imagination. And, and I, I think about this. A, a very close friend of mine, he's gone on to be with Jesus. His name is Denny Rydberg. He was the president, former president of Young Life. And uh, I worked directly out of his office. And he said, when God wants to teach you something, he will take you on a journey. 
Yesterday, the men and I, we went on a journey that Jesus took his disciples. Well, here's a different journey. It goes a different di- direction, and a lot of different things happen on this journey. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, God wants to take you somewhere. Okay, I noticed you guys, your voices are kind of trailing off. Say, neighbor, he's going to keep doing that neighbor thing. Okay. But... Um, How do I start this? John 4, okay, here's what it says. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, okay, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. And I'm going to come back to that. Samaria is kind of like in the middle. Judea and Galilee are separated. Jewish people at that time were not feeling the Samaritan people. Who were the Samaritans? Samaritans were people who came out of blended families, very much like our interracial marriages today. They were Jews and Syrians who had, had intermarried as a result of an invasion that took place about 700 years before Jesus showed up on the scene. So they weren't feeling, so there was a lot of prejudice. Okay, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure some of you all know some people that are prejudiced. Amen? Say neighbor but I'm not one of those people. Okay, so, but, so there, was this, there was this tension be, between them. And, and I want to stop here, and I want to go to a story that takes place later in the Gospels, in the book of Luke, in the 10th chapter, the 51st verse. It says that when it came time for Jesus to go back to heaven, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Another translation said he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. And what was he going to Jerusalem for? He was going there to die on the cross and ultimately to be resurrected so that you and I could have eternal life. I would think on this particular day, the disciples, if they were discerning, saw a difference in Jesus' demeanor. And they were going through the land of the Samaritans. And so he sent some messengers out to get a place to stay as they started their journey. But the Samaritan people wouldn't receive them because Jesus was going back to Jerusalem. Jesus had done ministry, and we'll hear about that here. But they came back, and they had an attitude. And and, and I, I hear them, Lord, they didn't receive us. You want us to rain fire down on them and kill all of them like Elijah did? Say, neighbor. They didn't learn a lot from the Prince of Peace but it was showing that they were still broken. And you know what? Jesus doesn't play that game. And the Bible says, he who began a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he begins to work in their lives. He says, in the King James Version, he says, you don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man did not come to take people's lives. He came to give life. And they went on to another village. So in other words, Jesus didn't allow that to hook him. Jesus didn't allow that to stop him from loving those people, though they, were not, though they were not being received with that love. And I want us to think about that a little bit. He didn't let people, how many of you have ever had somebody get on your last nerve? How many of you ever showed up with a good attitude and they had a bad attitude? Next thing you know, you got a bad attitude. Say, neighbor, how does this man know so much about you? Because the Bible says the things that we go through, they're common to a man. And so now, as we hear it from John today, but he needed, John 4, 4, but he needed to go through some area. And I want you to say this with authority. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, Jesus wants to go through some area of your heart. Some area of your heart. 
Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Hmm. What does God want to do in you? What does God want to do in me? How many of you have ever gone to church and you heard a message that pertained to someone else? How many people have ever done that? And how many of you have ever said, oh man, so-and-so needed to be here to hear that word, but they weren't there? Say, neighbor, I wonder who God was talking to. I've never preached a message to anyone that wasn't there. So what does God want to say to you today? What does he want to say to me? You know, it, it, it comes to me before it comes to you, but there are always things that he wants to do. Jesus has this agenda. He had the agenda and he talks about it. He says, I come to seek and to save or to rescue those who are lost. I come to destroy, in 1 John 3, 8, I come to destroy the works of the devil. I come that you would have life and life to the full or life more abundantly. That was his agenda. He didn't go around talking about that a lot, but that was behind it. And when he encountered people, that's what he wanted to do in their lives. And so here, he's there. He's going through the land of the Samaritans, okay? And so now, I just share these things with you. Here's what Mother Teresa said. Never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time and always start with the person nearest you. Can you imagine if we lived our lives that way? Can you imagine the impact that we could have in the world, in our families, on our jobs, in our schools, in the marketplace, one person at a time, finding someone to love? John 4, 5 says it this way. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sichar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was the sixth hour, which is noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. I'll come back to that in a second. For his disciples had gone away into the city. I think about this. Again, it's a movie for me. Jesus is tired. He takes his crew and he goes, hey, listen, you guys go to the city and get something to eat. He's tired and he sits down. And this woman comes. And I thought about this. I wonder if they passed each other on the road. I wonder if there was any kind of eye contact. I I, I wonder if something like a a simple head nod, just an acknowledgement. I would think not. Because this is before he began to deal with their stuff. Maybe they even moved over because she's a Samaritan woman. Okay, I'm gonna try to stay still up here, okay. So, she passes by them. She sees this bunch of Jewish men, probably by the way that they were dressed or the way that they talked, and they probably had nothing to say to each other. I I want us to think about that. So Jesus says to her when she gets there, give me a drink. And I'm sure all of you probably who are into scripture have read this story. You know the amazing thing to me about the story, and I didn't realize it until today? He never drank. He didn't drink anything. I wonder what he was after. He was after some area in her heart. He had an agenda for this woman. Jesus says, I do what dad tells me to do, Bill Page paraphrase. I say what the father tells me. Dad sent him on a mission. There's a woman I want you to meet. 
And now it takes place. Okay. The woman says, then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, listen how she addresses him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She knew about the drama. She knew about the animosity or even the hatred. In my own life, I've suffered racial wounds and I've inflicted some as well. And so sometimes I'll go into a setting with a chip on my shoulder. I, I go into a setting with a heightened sense of awareness. Yeah, let somebody say something. Let me encounter something. And I'm quick to respond to things. And God had to speak to me about that. And he gave me this verse. He says, he who has friends must first show himself to be friendly. What is he saying to me? He said, Bill, rather than you showing up with a chip on your shoulder, why don't you just show up friendly? Why don't you just show up being a loving entity rather than waiting for somebody to say something or do something so that you can attack it? Wow. How many of you have ever had the Holy Spirit confront you on something? Six of us? Praise the Lord. Okay, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, oh, your turn's going to come. But God has a way because he's begun this good work in us. And when he sees things that are broken, he's committed to us to make us the people that he wants us to be. He came to seek and to save those who were lost, I said. He came that we would have life and life like we've never had it before. And he wanted to destroy the works of the devil. And he asked her for a drink. Seemingly, he doesn't have anything to drink with. So therefore, she, he would have to drink out of what she drank out of. He would put his lips to a Samaritan cup. And it didn't seem to bother him at all. I was sharing about my young son, my youngest son, Lance. Lance did not drink after anybody. If your lips went on it, his lips never would. And I remember this one particular Thanksgiving, we were all sitting at the table, he had a glass of milk, and we, he got up from the table and he walked away, and me and my son Randy, my oldest son, looked at it, we took his glass of milk, and we tilted it, where it would look like somebody drank out of it, and then we sat it back over there, and then we just continued. We were acting like we weren't paying attention to him when he came back to the table, and he sat down, and he looked at the milk, and he saw the film where obviously the glass had been tilted. He knew that we knew he doesn't like anybody drinking out of his cup. And then when Randy and I are sitting there, and he, all of a sudden, perfectly, I can see this. And we're acting like we ain't paying any attention. And he never drank out of that glass. Then he joins the Marines. And he comes home. And I can't wait to ask him. So Lance, you're in the Marines now. Yeah. You got this real deep voice. Yeah. I said, do you drink out of somebody else's canteen? Yeah. As long as I go first. Okay, so I'm just saying. But he wouldn't do that. He, he, even his daughter. His daughter won't do it based on what he said. You know, that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I, I want us to think about this. So he has this little bit of an interaction with the woman. And maybe because of the way that he talked to her. Maybe because of his tone. Maybe because he wasn't trying to get anything from her. She recognized something different about Jesus. When I read the scriptures, 
Women flocked to Jesus. Why? Because I believe he knew how to treat women. The Bible says in the book of Luke in the eighth chapter, and Jesus went into every town and village preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And then it gives a list of women who gave out of their substance to support his ministry. Who are these women? I think these women are women who received the love of Jesus, saw Jesus loving on other people, and said, we want to be part of that. And I believe Jesus says, come on. And they supported his ministry. It's amazing what can happen when you feel loved by someone, when you feel cared about by someone. I want us to think about that. The woman said, sir, oh, no longer Jew. Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks from this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, Jesus is saying, I got something better than what's in that well. And what I have is not natural, it's eternal. And it has an impact on the ones that drink it, and it'll have an impact on the ones that they encounter, even though it doesn't say it here. The woman said, sir, still showing him respect, give me this water that I might not thirst nor come here to draw. What does that say about this woman? She's thirsty. There's something missing and she knows it. And if Jesus has it, she wants it. And the fact that she didn't want to come there anymore. Come there maybe because she's been kicked to the curb. Come there and we'll find out why in a second where people look down their noses at her. And so she comes at a time of the day when people don't come to draw water. I, I just think about this. There came a point in this conversation where Jesus says, if you knew who it was that was talking to you in the gift, the gift is not something, the gift is a person. It's Jesus himself. Remember that, it's all about Jesus. I love it. I mean, again, it, it, it comes, it just hits me. Jesus says, go get your husband. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you have well said. We'll stop right there. He commends her for telling the truth. He commends her for being real. But he keeps it real all the time. I have no husband. He said, you're right for saying that, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. So here's a woman who's been married five times, 
and now she's living with a man. You know the incredible thing right here? Jesus doesn't tell her to move out. Jesus wanted to get to some area in her heart before he starts commanding her to do things. Here's a woman that's been handed off. As I read the Old Testament, it seems like it was the men that, that went for divorce. And I wonder why. Maybe she was a beautiful woman. I think about this. Hand it off to this one, to that one, to this one. And I think about the man she's living with now. Did he just say, I'm not doing the marriage thing with you? I think she was in pursuit of love. And now love personified was standing in front of her. To me, it's just awesome. It, it amazes me about how Jesus is. I know some of you probably have seen the series, The Chosen. I, I love the story, The Chosen, about this particular scene. In that scene, she says, with her edge, I guess you're a prophet. You know, but Jesus doesn't allow that to hook him. You know, he doesn't allow it. Go get your husband. And there would come a time, they have a little bit of a discourse about theological things, about where we worship God and the true and living God. Verse 25 says this, jumping ahead. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. So she had some knowledge of Bible stuff. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Wow. Wow. Jesus cared about this woman on the road to life. Do we care about the people that we encounter? Do they feel the love of God emanating from us like this woman felt from Jesus? And the Bible tells us she leaves her water pots and everything and now the disciples come back and they're kind of like jammed up. They see Jesus talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman, but they don't say anything. And she runs to town. Wow. And here's what she says. Come and see a man. Come and see a man that told me all the things I ever did. So obviously a bigger conversation took place than is talked about in the scriptures because he told her everything. How do we feel if somebody steps to us and begins to tell us everything that we ever did? Are we excited about that or do we shrink away in shame? But I believe because of the way that he spoke, it touched her in such an unbelievable way. She leaves everything runs to town, come and see a man. Come and see a man that told me everything I ever did. And then she says, could this not be the Christ? So he went from being a Jew, to being a sir, to being a prophet, to being the Christ. And when we have encounters with people and we have an opportunity to step into their lives and to be truth speakers, do we speak the truth in love like I believe Jesus did? You can't speak the truth in love unless you love who you're speaking to. And if you don't love who you're speaking to, 
You're just being politically correct. And they will see right through that. I don't think anybody had an opportunity to do that with Jesus. And that same Jesus lives inside of you. That same Jesus says to you in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice, he doesn't knock with his hand, he knocks through his word. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will sup or fellowship with you. Jesus comes in and he begins to rearrange the furniture. And then people get an opportunity to experience him through our lives. What an incredible God. And what I love about Jesus though, he's not a burglar. He doesn't come through the window. He's not Santa Claus. He doesn't come down through the chimney. He's just a perfect gentleman. He knocks. And when you open the door, he begins to go to work, to reveal himself to a world that is divided, to reveal himself to a world that needs his love, to reveal himself to a world that needs the adversary of their soul destroyed in their lives. Not you don't destroy them, but you become part of the process. He reveals himself to love people through you. Jesus says, I want you to be united just as I and the Father are united. To love your neighbor, to love your neighbor. Look at your neighbor quickly and just say this with authority. Say, neighbor, loving me is not optional. God wants to love people through you, in your family, at your job, at your school. You just go and you love people. You love the hell out of them rather than try to beat the hell out of them. Jesus was a master at it. The only thing that bothered Jesus was religious people, people who thought they knew what God was like and they didn't have a clue. Say, neighbor, I can't stand people like that. And it was people like that who couldn't stand Jesus. But he transformed the lives of people like this woman, of people like yourselves, so that you can experience the love and then give that same type of love. Jesus says, the things that I do, you're going to do greater things than these, because I'm going back to be with Dad. But he will send the Comforter, who will come and make his abode in our hearts that he might make a difference in us, that he might make a difference through us, all through the power of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you today for my brothers and sisters, and I ask you to bless them, and I pray, O oh God, that they would be conduits of your love. I pray, God, that they would be people of reconciliation and people of unity and people of caring and compassion. I pray, God, that you would bring about tremendous healing in their hearts and lives in the mighty name of Jesus, as well as my own. We thank you for that today. We thank you that you've begun a good work in us and you will perform it until the day of Jesus, that when we are not faithful, you are faithful still because you cannot deny yourself. Your word has said the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It is your mercy that never comes to an end. It's new every morning and great 
is your faithfulness. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, before we leave, just uh, so you'll know, if any of you need prayer, we'll have the prayer team. We'll be up here to pray for you. I thought about something while I was standing there. This guy comes to Jesus. What can I do to have eternal life? He's a, he's a guy that studies the word of God. He's a lawyer. He's in the, found in the book of Luke in the 10th chapter. And Jesus says, well, what is your reading and what have you learned? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, might, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, quite right. Do this and you will live. Eternal life is not just living forever. Eternal life is a quality of life that comes with the Spirit of God who lives on the inside of us. Outside on your windows, you have it etched in beautiful glass, you know, love God, love people, and over here, make disciples. You see it every day. Every time you come, you walk by those windows. Let that be a reminder to us to go out and to find someone to love. Amen? Amen. Father God, today in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your sons and daughters, and I pray that the power of the Spirit would be upon them in an unbelievable way. Jesus, you said in John 15 and 5 that without you, we can do nothing. Philippians 4.13, though, says we can do all things through Christ who loves us. We thank you for that today. Allow us to live responding to your love. Allow us to love our neighbor and allow us to love ourselves in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.